0: welcome back to michigan talent talk a podcast by gst michigan works join us as our guests discuss valuable strategies to develop employable skills whether you're just getting started taking the next step or making the switch to a new career learn from experts how to get the most from your job search now here's your host diona pratt Welcome, 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 and thank you for tuning in to the Michigan Talent Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dionna Pratt. Today we are going to explore the power of listening. That's right. (laughs) My guest today perceives listening as a real world superpower. He's going to share with us what that means and how it's helped him to become a successful serial entrepreneur. His journey began in high school selling subway sandwiches. Can you believe it? Although he studied electrical engineering and in 2008 he graduated from Kettering University, he knew his calling was to become an entrepreneur. He opened his first store at the age Of 21. Yes, you heard me right. He opened his first retail store after graduating from Kettering University at the age of 21. Since then, he's opened five more businesses, all unrelated. He has ownership in over 60 locations across six different industries nationwide. He's talented, he's an electrical engineer a game programmer, a writer, a public speaker, a serial entrepreneur, and author. His most recent book is called The Dark Fairy. It's a fictional nonfiction story showing individuals and teams how to listen and ensure others feel understood. Please help me welcome Nick Vija to the show. Good morning, Nick.
1: Good morning, Diona. Thank you for the intro. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for visiting. We are happy to have you on the show. Let's go back to 2008. You are 21 years old, a recent graduate. You are working your first job as an engineer. What was going on in your mind? What did that feel like? Did you have this burning desire to seek your first business opportunity? What happened there?
1: Yeah, I've always been uh, interested in business ownership. So something that I've always wanted. So I actually graduated uh, Kettering in the fall of 2008. And then the, uh, the day after I graduated. So at Kettering, you have a, it's a co-op program. So we would work as an engineer for three months, go to school for three months, back and forth and so on. So I already had a job lined up once I graduated. But um, on the day that I graduated, I put in my two-week notice. And uh, so I was an engineer for a full two weeks. So then I just went head first into entrepreneurship. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so where did that desire come from? Did you do you come from a line of entrepreneurs? Where did that?
1: No, it's actually actually quite the opposite. So my my dad he he gave me a book when I was a kid called Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, and in that book it talks about the cash flow quadrant, and it basically uh, a short version of it talks about becoming a business owner versus being an employee and like the pros and cons of that. But my dad is actually extremely conservative, so he for probably two years after I opened my first business, he kept sending me job ads from the newspaper he cut out of different engineering positions open, and um, so he wasn't super happy with my desire to go in entrepreneurship just because of the risk involved in that. Uh, but really, it was reading that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, when I was probably in middle school, that kind of got me off into the entrepreneurial uh, mindset.
0: Uh, you know, I hear that book quoted a lot. That is a powerful book. Yes, did you very have good. a master plan, a vision, a vision board? Did you did you know that you would become as successful as you are today?
1: No, no. I'm, I'm really not a good planner. I So I graduated Kettering and I became a franchise consultant. So I would work with people who want to open up their own businesses. And I represented several different franchises. And then just through random encounters in uh, January of 2009, I met uh, John Chesney. He's the founder of Disc Replay, which was the first business that I invested in. I'm a video game nerd myself. Uh, so I made a lot of sense. So I actually opened that one up in Flint. And it's just kind of been one thing after another. But I haven't really had much of a plan, but I've just been very passionate about wanting to grow Row. And then I, I know when you I found that whenever you or whenever I get hyper focused on a goal, it's like the world starts opening up opportunities. And it's just because you start kind of seeing through other opportunities that might have faded in the background if you weren't really looking for them.
0: So you became a franchise consultant. You didn't have a background doing that. So how did you market yourself? <laughs>
1: So as a franchise consultant, my, uh, well, about six months before I graduated, my mom got laid off of her job. And so she found the franchise consulting opportunity. And then I was more helping her with it. Um, so I did become a franchise consultant. I was partnered with her. We weren't very successful in that. That was back in 2008 when the uh, Great Recession started. So a lot of people, they wanted to open up their own business, but their savings in 401k had taken a major hit as the stock market crashed. So um, I actually wasn't very successful in the franchise consulting business. I didn't like it very much either. I, I'm not a big, I'm not, good at selling and I know everything in life can be kind of somewhat related to selling, but in the traditional sense, I'm not a big fan of being a salesperson. So I actually wasn't very successful in that. Um, So I didn't mark myself very good, I guess is a short answer to that question. Okay,
0: okay. (laughs) Well, people hear that a 21-year-old successfully opened a retail store with no prior experience. They think, how? Did someone help him? You had your own savings, correct? And you had investors.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So for the first business, it was uh, my mom, myself, my stepdad, and uh, kind of a family friend. So I had saved... A big reason why I went to Kettering University was I loved their co-op program because as I explained earlier, I worked as an engineer for six months out of the year. So I made a good amount of money while I was at Kettering. I also became an RA at Kettering. So I got free room and board for a couple of years. And that's something that that my dad instilled on me is just the importance of saving. So I saved up... Pretty much like my entire life, never really spent money on anything. And um, so I had my own savings built up. So kind of it was the four of us. And then we took on an SBA loan to help with the rest of the financing for that first business.
0: Oh, very smart. And how did you find out about SBA? Because it seems like there are a lot I've spoken with. I've interviewed quite a few entrepreneurs and and, uh, those in the area that have resources. You'd be surprised how many people don't know about SBA. So how did you find out about SBA?
1: It was through the franchisor, um, John Chasney, the person I mentioned earlier at uh, at Disc Replay. I guess that's kind of like another thing I've learned along the way is in finding good opportunities, just kind of navigating things in life. It's much better to focus on who versus how. So I've found a tremendous amount of success in finding who. So like, for example, John, he's a very successful business owner. So um, fortunately he took me under his wing and he was my mentor and he kind of helped me, you know, avoid all the snakes in the quicksand and different traps out there in the jungle and, you know, make better decisions. So, I feel like a lot of people, when they try to figure out how to do something, they focus on the how and they'll Google how to get funding and how to get this and how to get that. And I mean, I still Google things, but it's much better if you can find somebody who's like where you want to be, has achieved what you want to achieve, and then ask them for the how. Um, That's kind of how I've, I've learned a lot and grown so quickly is by focusing on who's versus how.
0: That's a golden nugget. Focus on who versus how let's talk about the dark fairy, your book is you and not what I was expecting. I'm going to tell you, but I love what you did there. Most of the time when it comes to education, we see more of a how to format. You took a different route. Why?
1: Well, for, for one, so I'm an avid reader. I read personal growth books all the time in so many different disciplines, like psychology, physics, biology, finance, investing, all sorts of things. And I try to get my managers to read books all the time because I feel like it'll help them a lot in their personal, professional life. But I found that for a lot of people, it's, you know, if you give them a 300-page nonfiction book that kind of, like you said, is just like a how-to, it's, it's tough to chew through. It's tough to stay, stay focused on and things like that. And it's just not very interesting. But a few years ago, I read a book called Who Moved My Cheese. Um, have you read that book by chance?
0: No, but I'm going to write that down. Who I yeah. heard of it actually. Who moved my cheese?
1: Yeah, it's a super super good book. I highly recommend it. So that book, um, I won't give any any major spoilers here. But so that book, it's it takes about an hour to read. It's a really short book, and it's a fictional story about um, mice and people in a maze, and their cheese gets moved. And it's about how they how they deal with that. So it's presented in a fictional story, but it's a non-fictional message, and it teaches you how to deal with change. And I read that book. I gave it to the managers, um, and they and they love that book. They. Actually got through it because because of it's a story it's it's kind of like the whole thing of showing versus telling so i feel like a lot of nonfiction books they focus on just the telling and here's a bunch of facts and memorize these facts and use these facts whereas with storytelling we can show versus tell and i feel it's a lot more engaging interesting vivid and then it's also more memorable so i wanted to kind of take that concept from and my cheese and apply it to different disciplines so with the dark fairy the focus was listening but that's why i chose a storytelling versus just telling how to listen
0: I can actually see, as I was reading the book, I can actually see that story being on, in film. (laughs) Have you thought about doing that with the story?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how. Um, and I guess kind of taking my own advice, I probably should find a who um, to figure out how to make that happen. Um, so something I'm, I'm very interested in, I just haven't uh, explored it just yet. So if you know of any who's though, I definitely would uh, appreciate a, a warm introduction by chance.
0: <laughs> okay, right. Absolutely. Cause I'm, I'm looking, I'm seeing all these vivid colors and then I can, I don't want to give the book away, but it's, it, it's a, it's a wonderful read. It's a wonderful perfect way to learn about listening. So where did that all... Can you give me the background? Where did that all come about? The power of listening, 80-20, all of that.
1: So for me, I think it's just over the years, I have... I've learned so much through listening and I found, I mean, I'm on calls just like with my with my team, with business mentors, with other business leaders. And in and, and some of these conversations, I see such a disconnect from somebody who's talking and trying to communicate a message and then the person who's listening. And I, I just see there's a big disconnect and the, a lot of people don't really listen genuinely. They listen with the intent to respond or to share a different story or something like that and through through listening and asking good questions i there' have been many times in a conversation where like everybody in the room would think that the speaker was going down a certain trail, but then I started asking some questions to clarify their thoughts, and then when they did, it was kind of like an aha moment, and the light bulb went off, and then we were able to make uh, good decisions or avoid major mistakes because like we truly understood where the person's coming from so i just I see it it's something that's helped me tremendously, and I think it's something that um a lot of people lack, I mean, myself included, like listening is very, very hard and in school we're, we're told you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, but at least for myself and my own education, I wasn't really told how to listen and more importantly, like how to make the other person feel understood. And I just feel like that is so important and so much conflict, personal, and professional that I feel exists today. It's simply because people don't feel understood. And if um, so I feel like if more and more people can start listening and helping others feel understood, I, it can help just everybody in their personal and professional lives, and it can just reduce a lot of conflict in the world. So it's kind of an important topic to me uh, on a personal level, which is why I chose to write about that one first.
0: Do you feel that technology has caused a little bit of a dive, a decrease in our ability to effectively communicate with each other? Could it be that the texting, we we had email first, (laughs) right? And then we were introduced to, uh, there was something else in between. Oh, it it was the instant messenger. And then uh, now texting and that, and I can tell you with my sister, for example, She'll text me. I'll text her back. She'll text me. I'll text her back. And then I'll call her <laughs> and she doesn't answer the phone. And I'm thinking we're texting back and forth. Why aren't you? Answer- I just want to just get this conversation over with
1: <laughs> right.
0: she text me. I'm busy. And I'm like, okay. Okay. So do you think that the technology that we have today has caused a little bit of a uh, sort of decrease in how we, effectively communicate with each other.
1: I do. Yeah, sure. I mean, texting somebody versus sitting face-to-face across them, reading their body language and all of that. uh, There's definitely a loss of communication. Like I've heard it quoted somewhere that 80% of communication is nonverbal. And when you text or email, you lose all the nonverbal communication. So I think it does create challenges. However, I feel... I feel like it can still, it can still be done if people just need the techniques. And, you know, to me, like a big part of listening, it's just rephrasing and repeating back what someone said to you in your own words or reflect and reflecting their feeling. And if you can do that, the only way you can do that is by truly listening to them. And you can do that in a text message and in an email or on a phone call. It's definitely harder without the body language, but you can, you can absolutely do it. So, so yes, I guess it has created a barrier, but it's, I guess it's not an excuse. Like, I feel like we can definitely still communicate properly, even through those technological kind of shortcuts.
0: In the book, you say, during a conversation dealing with problems, most people's initial reaction is to start problem solving. That's me. I,
1: I'll i <laughs> admit to that. It's me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this usually isn't good for two reasons. First, if you do this, you haven't given yourself a chance to truly understand the problem you're trying to solve. Second, if the other person doesn't feel you understand the problem he's communicating, he won't be very receptive to your suggestions. And you say many times the initial problem identified as a symptom of a deeper root cause and, time spent treating symptoms versus root causes isn't very effective can you give our listeners an example of what you mean
1: yeah so it's it's very satisfying to check boxes just in general. I mean, that's why checklists work like it's, it's fun. Like if I have like a list of, you know, five things I want to get done for the t- for the day, if I can check five boxes, then when I go to bed at night, it's like, cool, I've accomplished something that's very tangible. So when somebody brings a problem to, you know, I'll speak from my own perspective, but you know, to my, my attention, it's very tempting just to go solve that problem, check that box and move on because solving a problem is a tangible reward versus taking the time to really understand the problem and peel back the layers. It can feel like a waste of time or like spinning wheels cause I'm not solving anything. We're not getting, we're not checking that box super fast. So in my experience though, usually what that means is like we're checking the wrong box. So for example uh, I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but like if, if one of my team members came in and they were complaining about uh, s- something at the job, like for example, let's say that they were they were complaining about there's a lot of upside customers and it's just it's creating a very stressful job for them. If I just immediately start like solving that problem and telling telling them how to deal with upset customers or things like that, that might not be what the actual problem is. But if I say, okay, you know, so can you help me understand like how does this cause stress to you? Like how how are the upside customers causing stress to you? And we might drill down for a while and then we might find out that you know really what they want to be doing is they want to be in the back doing repairs, which is another part of our Job. So they'd rather do like a non customer facing position. So if I spent all the time digesting how to deal with upset customers when like their core issue is they would rather have something in the back that's more technical in nature versus customer service, we're we're wasting time. I'm checking the wrong box. And it's only sometimes by like asking people questions, repeating back and reflecting what they said and labeling feelings that you can understand them or even help them clarify their own thoughts. Like they might not even know what the root issue is they're just bringing a symptom to your att- to, to my attention but when i reflect back and we keep going back and forth they might kind of reach their own epiphany and then once we found the root problem is that they'd rather have like a non customer centric uh, facing position now we can solve that now i was like okay well here are the open positions in the company do any of these interest you you know what and i can put you in touch with so and so you can interview for the position but now we can solve the actual problem and usually once you have i finally identified the true problem the solving it is super fast it's like 80% of the effort is really just identifying the problem. That's like the hardest thing. Once you find it, then it's like okay, let's, let's just solve this and, and move on. But if you jump to that ahead of time, then that's when it's like you solve it, then new excuses come up. But then it's like, you know, sometimes I feel like I'll solve a problem, but then new facts get brought to the table. And then I solve that problem, then new facts get brought to the table. If, if you kind of ever cut yourself in that dynamic, it usually means that you're not solving the root problem. You're just kind of going after symptom, after symptom, after symptom. But then it's time to kind of pause and like, okay, like what's, what's really going on here? So it was a l- little bit long winded, but hopefully that answered the question.
0: No, that was perfect. And that that helped me. And yeah, yeah. I'm always thinking that, oh, I have a solution.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: that was so good. And, and the solution is not. And if you're going to and, and I do that and you're right, another problem pops up and then yeah. boom, and then I have a solution and I'm never. And then it's a cycle and you're never getting to the root cause of it. So that listening plays a key part in that, that was perfect, the perfect explanation. (laughs) Thank you. You talk about expressing emotion versus logic. You say, when someone is expressing emotions, don't respond back with logic. Instead, identify and label his emotion so he feels you understand. If you respond with logic, he will likely not be receptive and will argue with you because he feels you don't fully understand his perspective. When someone is speaking logically, Now is the time to respond with logic. A typical conversation will switch back and forth between logical and emotional discussions, almost like a dance, by staying in sync with your counterpart. You'll keep progressing forward. What steps can our listeners take to get this disciplined?
1: Yes. So this was another big aha thing that I've kind of learned over the years, but I'm I'm a super logical person. I got a degree in electrical engineering. So like I love logically problem solving. And in the past, and even sometimes today still, when someone brings me a problem, I, I want to just give them the logic, you know, and solve it. So if someone comes to me and is venting to me and I had like a really rough day and is going up on all the things, I just want to start solving their problem to then make the stress go away. And that usually just doesn't go over very well. So one thing I've learned is when someone's being emotional, so like if I'm complaining to you or 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 sharing like a like feelings or emotions that I'm feeling, if you immediately just get respond with logic and tell me like how to solve it, it's not very satisfying. Um, so, to, so I found that when someone's emotional, it's best to respond with emotion, and when somebody's logical, it's best to respond respond with logic. So usually, when there's a problem, people start off as emotional. They're exp- expressing how frustrated they are or something, or irritated or whatever. So before we we solve it, I would say like, okay, so Diona, you know, it sounds like you're pretty frustrated because. Yesterday, I did, you know, A, B, C, D. When you were hoping I was going to do element or something like that, and is that right? Is that am I actually, am I accurately explaining kind of how you felt? And if you said yes, you know, that's it. It's like okay. Um, so now we can get more to the logical problem solving. So um, got a little tongue twied there, but hopefully I answered the question there. But basically, like when someone is being, if you sense that someone is sharing emotions, it's best just to. Re- label their emotions and repeat back to them what they just told you in your own words, and then ask them if that's correct, to show them that you understand. Once they feel understood, it's kind of like they get like a breath of air and they can relax. And then that's when it's time to switch to logical problem solving.
0: Perfect. That was my next question. When do you introduce the logic? But, th- but that's when, once you understand or you see or sense or, or you confirm that they feel that you understand what they are saying, then you can switch to logic.
1: Perfect. Exactly. Yeah. And it's really important that you don't just assume, or like, or for example, if you and I were having a discussion, it's really important that I don't assume that I understand what you said. I, sh- I repeat it back to you. Then I ask for your verbal confirmation. So Diona, you, d- you're feeling this way because of, of this. Is, is that accurate that I understand you correctly? And then if you say, yes, Nick, you did. Now, boom, we've, we've nailed the understanding. You're happy because you, you feel understood. I'm happy because I, I've confirmed that I understand you. And now it's like we're, we're on a whole different level. Whereas if I think I understand you, but I don't get your verbal confirmation of it, I'm just talking about one thing. And in the back of your mind, you could be thinking, OK, d- but does Nick does Nick really understand exactly how I feel, though? Like he's talking about how to solve a problem, but like, does he actually understand it? And it's just kind of it's an awkward spot to be in uh, without that clarity.
0: That's that's fantastic. I love it. I love it. <laughs> what are your Final thoughts. And before we talk about final thoughts, actually, I just thought of something because you are a public speaker. Do you, how often do you get a chance to go around and share this wealth of knowledge with corporations?
1: So from the speaking standpoint, it's something I'm just starting now, um, so I haven't been doing it very long, so I don't I don't have a good answer for that question. I haven't done it yet, but it's something that I really want to do. And I want to start by going my thought anyways is with the dark fairy. Like I feel knowing how to listen is a really critical, soft skill. So I'd like to start by going to schools and and talking to different classrooms and and sharing, I guess, the power of listening, how to listen and what it's accomplished. So that's something that I'm just getting off the ground now. Um, so I guess you can probably ask me again in maybe three years and we'll see kind of how I've done with that. But it's something I'm just, it's a new, a new endeavor that I'm starting.
0: What are your final thoughts? What do you want to leave the listeners
1: with? I'll say my final thoughts. Uh, I really believe listening is incredibly powerful. I would not have achieved anywhere near the amount of business success that I I've achieved I would not have the strong personal relationships with my friends and family. I've recovered uh, many relationships that that could have faltered and I've also talked with others and seen them reestablish relationships like with their fathers or whoever who they haven't been talked to for years. I I truly think so many so much conflict if not all conflict in just uh, broken down into a misunderstanding. So I guess my, the thought that I would leave is I would challenge people to try this with a conversation. The next time you have a a conflict or an argument or disagreement with a friend or family member, um, I I would try it and it it is hard. So just know that it's hard. Don't I, I I think sometimes people hear about listening. It's presented as if it's easy, like, Oh, just, just listen. It's like, well, well, how do I listen? So the, the biggest takeaways, if you're Going to be, it's called empathetic listening, is kind of what this concept is called. And the biggest thing to do is when someone says something to you, if they're complaining about a problem or venting, it's to take whatever they said and rephrase it and then repeat it back to them and then label their feeling with it or label their emotion using your own words and then ask them if that's correct and if you understood them. So, and just keep doing that over and over and over until they say yes. And usually when that happens, the first few times they'll say no, then they'll clarify their thoughts. Then you just repeat whatever they just said back to them and label their emotion. And it, it works every time and it works wonders. It, it'll, it'll change. There's been times someone's been screaming and yelling at me and then I've employed this technique. It's again, it's very hard because emotionally all I want to do is lash, lash out back. But like every single time I've done this, it has just been amazing. It's changed the conversation instantly, like within 20, 30 seconds. It has completely changed the dynamic of the conversation and then we get into problem solving and we're off to the races. So um, I guess i would just chance people to, to try it once, see how it goes and you won't be disappointed.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Uh, And I appreciate all the kind words. Um, It really means a lot.
0: Well, they are genuine. I mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Nick Leja, everyone. The book is called The Dark Theory. You can purchase it right now on Amazon. Visit Nick, N-I-C-K-L-E-J-A dot com for more information about Nick and to contact him. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.